Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together out loud, chapter by chapter, looking at 1 Samuel chapter 11 today. This is really the first time that Saul has to prove himself. He's got a test here. Not that he's really proving himself, but really proving that God is with him. Uh, you've got a pretty uh, nasty enemy here uh, that, that talks about gouging out all the right eyes of everybody. This is uh, definitely one of these moments where this is not G-rated, the word of the Lord here. Uh, but it's talking about real life, uh, certainly, and, and all the... Uh, the gruesomeness that accompanies it sometimes because we have what we have here is a picture of a messiah that is able to rescue from even the gruesome cold realities of life uh, you got this covenant renewal or this kingdom renewal uh kind of interesting because we just you know had it established in the last chapter so has some time elapsed uh there's some real questions here i think that talk about um uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to kind of situate this chapter but i really do like it how it's, it's really this moment where saul kind of demonstrates what kind of king he is today joining us we have as our guest pastor dave andrus pastor at abiding savior lutheran church in st louis also heading up not alone ministries good morning brother good to have you back how are you thank you doing very well very well thank you Glad to hear it. And uh, yeah, this is an interesting chapter, right? Because you've got, on the one hand, it, it kind of feels like it's like the very, I don't know, next thing, first thing. Uh, but th this chapter, it, it seems like like some time has passed. So, I mean, it seems like it feels uh, maybe like it's been selected. It's kind of a very kind of first big thing. Um, and as such, we should really be looking for the significance here. Hmm. Indeed, indeed, we shall. Yeah, yeah. It's it's an interesting turning point, moving from the theocracy to the kingship of Saul, and yeah. it's something God actually didn't really want to do. Um, right. He was happy with the judges and what was taking place, but the people were not, and so uh, they asked for a king, and they got it. And Saul, and uh, Saul did what the Lord asked him to do here, um, which is wonderful. But we'll find out later on why God didn't really want to have a king in subsequent chapters because of, right. the, of the tyrannies that a king can produce. Yeah, and I think you're setting up uh, well the next the next chapter, chapter twelve for tomorrow. Um, I mean, I, I was going over that again, and I just, I mean, I think that's mm. fascinating. You've got this farewell address mm. where. Samuel's like, you know, hey, you know, God didn't like this whole king idea. Oh, hey, Saul. You know, <laughs> he's like standing right there. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and kind of fascinating uh, dynamic. But uh, but yeah, in, in this chapter, though, seeing how God mercifully is working good um, through this king, uh, d despite the, the difficulties that are going to accompany it, uh, this kingship later. But yeah, you know, it's uh, a lot of things flowing here, both for good and for bad. But uh, as, as we get started here, Brother, uh, before we read the chapter, would you start us out with a prayer? Absolutely. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your spirit that blesses us. Even as we will read how it blessed Saul to lead his people, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that's sent to us to lead us to Jesus, our Savior. Thank you that the Spirit can guide us in your word, and we ask your Spirit's presence be with us so that we may more fully understand not only our role in life and how your spirit blesses us, 
but then also uh, more of your love for us and how you reach out to the world. Be with us and bless us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So any other things that we want to kind of briefly highlight or call out before we read the chapter? Anything uh, particularly um, from from context or maybe some of the, the place names that uh, maybe you can kind of connect the dots for us before we look at it? Um, but yeah, I'll, 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 I'll thing, let you pick what you want to look at. The one thing that jumps out to me is in the previous chapter, which you studied, I believe, Friday. Um, I was yeah. not here to hear, but it was with the... The private uh, calling of Saul as king, and he didn't want to be king. He was hiding among the baggage. Um, right. And to whether that was because he was afraid or timid uh, or didn't want the responsibility, we aren't really told, yeah. but we see a great reversal, and the great reversal really is the Spirit of the Lord. And I think that really will uh, come out through this chapter, that the, the dynamic change from from the Saul previous to the Saul present. Yeah, no, I, I really, I loved uh, chapter 10 going over it, just mm-hmm. how, how awesome it is that you have, like you were saying, is it, is it timid Saul or is it just kind of, um, I don't know, too earthly minded Saul? Like he's just like, you know, this just isn't practical to have a Benjaminite lead up this, um, you know, confederation of, of tribes. I mean, whatever it is, right? You were saying he becomes a new man with a new heart, with a new spirit. He's changed, um, and, and what, a, what a cool image for how God acts yeah. in the lives of ordinary human beings. Uh, so, yeah, I think, I think that this chapter, reading it rightly, to your point, is illustrating how you know, God is at work in Saul here, um, and it's not just Saul doing things because he's you know, really great at you know, strategy or, or war or something. So, Absolutely. With that it in mind, God. yeah. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and give this a read-through. We're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 11 here from the top in the English Standard Version. Then Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh-Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a treaty with us, and we will serve you. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, On this condition I will make a treaty with you, that I gouge out all your right eyes, and thus bring disgrace on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days' respite that we may send messengers through all the territory of Israel. Then if there is no one to save us, we will give ourselves up to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, they reported the matter in the ears of the people, and all the people wept aloud. Now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen, and Saul said, What's wrong with the people that they're weeping? So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh, and the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. He took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces, and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of the messenger, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. When he mustered them at Basic, the people of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah 30,000. And they said to the messengers who had come, Thus shall you say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have salvation. When the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, they were glad. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow, 
we will give ourselves up to you and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. And the next day, Saul put the people in three companies. They came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is it that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring them men, that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. So a uh, relatively short chapter, which is these uh, 14 verses, 15 verses here, but uh, I mean, just a lot happens. Uh, like you said, I, I think it is a really big deal that you have this spirit of the Lord um, coming upon Saul, and, and in that way, what Saul does— right is is not just i mean i mean in the thing about you know cutting up the oxen the pieces i mean, I mean all this stuff can can sound just uh, gruesome but uh th there's god working through the gore here um the thing i think that comes to me as a kind of a big question is uh, like what i was saying at the beginning though you know you just you read in the previous chapter how the spirit of god you know rushes upon saul um, and here it is again uh, you know, here is this renewal of the kingdom, and that just happened in, like, the previous chapter that it was established. And so it, it just kind of feels like, now, hang on a second. We're doing all this stuff again? Um, but <laughs> I think there are some things in the text that suggest that some time has passed, particularly the fact that this guy's been anointed king, and he's just kind of hanging out, uh, I don't know, like tending his field with the oxen, right? Mm-hmm, Yeah. Yeah, went back to work as a farmer and and, and uh, yeah. care of his land. It, it should be noted, yeah. as you probably have in the past. I mean, Ju uh, Israel and Judah, they were, re and actually not just them, but many of the countries around, though they had names, yeah. Ammonites. They're very small. They're basically more of yeah. clans. At best, a city, um, and they weren't unified as we see. Uh, Israel today uh, by modern electronic and, and, and communication, right. or even under David, where he had messengers running to and fro and could be better kept informed and, and inform his people. Then it was just scattered uh, here and there, and they were just trying to live peacefully uh, uh, and, and quietly. And, and then these marauders would come here and there, and, and that's what, what, what uh, this uh, Ammonite king uh, was hoping that that no one would come to the rescue of these people because he wanted this land back because he thought it was his, and he was so arrogant he he figured yeah, I'll give you a week and no one will come because they were so yeah. scattered and divided. Yeah, yeah, I I think so that you um I, I mean and this is you know get, getting back to it you know many, one of the many ways where this is really kind of answering the problem that was set up in judges where, you know, there was mm -hmm. no king, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The the idea being that everyone's just kind of doing their own thing, like you were saying, and they lacked the organization to be able to uh, really stand a chance and pose a threat to um, these external 
you know, agents who would come and just have their way with them, like you were saying. And um, I know I, I was thinking about it when uh, when he cuts up the oxen and sends them out across the tribes. Uh, well, I mean, there's a couple scenes in Judges that I was reminded of, but without um, invoking yeah, all of yeah. those. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I was actually thinking, too, about the um, one, one of the flags in early American history, the one with the, the cut-up snake that was cut up into oh, 13 pieces yeah. of memory serves, right? Like, yeah, the don't tread on me. And, and, and I think, yeah, right. And like, I think, wasn't the idea at the time, like, hey, we've got to unite. We, we can't just be a bunch of independent um, colonies because we're never going to be able to stand up to Britain if we don't all stand together. Like, I mean, I mean, so I think there's like maybe a similar kind of idea going on here. Like, hey, guys, mm-hmm. don't you can't just like, go and just you know oh i'm gonna just tend to my fields and just i'm just gonna go and do the farmer thing because we're, we're gonna we're, we're gonna be cut to pieces and so i think i think the threat of hey we're gonna come and you know destroy you know cut up your oxen while that well that seems just kind of like over the top i, I think i think there's some symbolism there that's saying like th- this is us right now <laughs> we're cut to pieces and and the contrast right what, what it says there in the text itself in verse seven, they came out as one man. The idea mm-hmm. then of unity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the spirit came upon Saul, and Saul's proclamation, um, God worked in this mighty way. As even even said, they came out as one man, and that's what the spirit can do, which is really a, a reversal of uh, the Tower of Babel, where people were scattered everywhere and divided. God did that on yeah. purpose so that humanity would not be so proud and arrogant to think that they were God and they could do this and they could do that. But yet God at the same time for his purposes brings his spirit upon us to unite us to do specific things which are of his desire and his will in his kingdom. Right. It's the the theme of of unity and unity in in Christ through baptism, unity that we have in God, um, a, a repeated theme, and, and like you said, con- conversely, you know, disunity as a uh, consequence of of sin, as a as a part of judgment, the judgment of God, like you're saying mm-hmm. at Babel, right? right? I mean, just recur- yeah. recurring themes throughout Scripture. Um, one of the uh, so, so yeah, we had, we had a few questions come in over the Facebook stream. Um, everybody, if you do want to join that, facebook.com slash AJ Espinosa. And, uh, yeah, actually, uh, Paul here with the assist. Yeah, there were, there were I, I was getting the two mixed up. There there's two flags, uh, or, or images anyway, uh, uh-huh. of, the, of the snake. There's the one that's like, don't tread on me, but there's this other one that was this picture that was uh, published in a newspaper. And it was cut up, and it said "Join or Die." <laughs> Actually, oh, that's right. Wow. Now, join, join or join die, right? Or um, die. And that, yeah. Well, I mean, and that was the message, right? It's like you know, as long as the snake is cut up into pieces, it's not going to last very long. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I, I think there is something there that, on the one hand, God does not want His people to re- reject Him as their King and to find their uh, their, their their Lord and a mere mortal. But on the other hand, having a mortal king and being unified and united around him is preferable to just every man did his own thing. There was no king in those days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So uh, kind of turning to some, some more of these details here, going back to the, the top of the chapter. Yeah. Um, so, you know, one of the things um, that, that comes out, you're reading this, this Nahash, the Ammonite, right? Just uh, quite the character. <laughs> uh, you know, he Extremely. knows, you know, yeah, uh, besieges Jabesh Gilead, and and then it's like, well, yeah, we, we, okay, okay, well, we, we surrender. What are your terms? Okay, here's my terms. I want to gouge out all your right eyes. I I mean, and, and then you, you read that, and of course, it's like, that that sounds like he's basically saying like, oh, there are no terms. <laughs> um, but 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 then what their re- their response is like, well, just give us a week and you know, if if we can't figure out anything, then yeah, just come gouge our eyes out. I, I mean, it just the, the the state of affairs that that is it, that's the state of affairs really right in Israel that no one's gonna come to each other's aid, right? Just think about that. Like no no one in all the other tribes of Israel is going to come and stop this guy from gouging out their eyes. Like the, that there's that kind of a, I don't an apathy brother towards brother. Right. I mean, uh, Nahash is, is really serving to, to bring that out and to demonstrate how, how terrible the state of affairs is. One thing I had read about gouging out the right eye that would prevent them from doing any action against the the king in the future because it would ruin their depth perception. And a soldier needs huh. good depth perception in order to 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 battle uh, a soldier in front of him because otherwise the soldier, knowing the right eye's out, he'll just move to that side and the person won't see him. And, and it, it just limits that person's ability. So this is a way, in a sense, to enslave this whole generation uh, by taking out the right eye and yet not limiting them because then he, they could be his servants to serve because they'd still have one eye and both hands to serve him. So it was a real cruel wow. trickery um, to do this wow. thing. Yeah. And, yeah. and again, it is such a way that, that he even said, sure, you can have the week. <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to come to your rescue. Ha, ha, ha. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, I think that really illustrates just how uh, how, how cruel and, and uh, I mean, just what, what kind of threat they are facing. Um, that, I mean, and it's interesting, you know, you, you mentioned uh, the, I think you were, the, the word you used was enslave, and I, and I think that's an appropriate mm-hmm. word. I mean, what's mm-hmm. interesting is that Samuel uses the same word as basically saying, like, okay, well, you want a king? Well, you're going to be the slaves of the king. Um, yeah. so it, that's, it's not all good there either, but you can kind of see, well, wouldn't you rather be a slave <laughs> of, of, of the King of Saul, right. Than a slave to this guy who's going to gouge out your eyes. I, I mean, so in, in many ways, uh, by Saul sending out this cut up oxen, it's like, maybe these are the alternatives guys. It's like, you, it's me or, or Nahash the Ammonite. And, um, I, I think one of the other in, interesting things about that too is uh, the the message that's actually sent out. Um, so, I mean, we, we have the, him receiving the news and the Spirit rushing upon him in verse 6. Um, but then in verse 7, the actual message, whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. I thought that was really interesting that Samuel's name is invoked there. Um, it, mm-hmm. it, to me, that seems to be indicating Samuel is still, in many ways, the... the 
the predominant leader figure. And even though Samuel has anointed Saul, it's sort of like, well, okay, you know, Samuel said that and said that we're going to, this guy is going to be king. And I guess we'll see. Like, like, I mean, it, it sounds like, you know, kind of, especially based on the end of, of chapter 10, like there was that ceremony, but I don't know why it's like, it's like, it didn't really like stick or people were just sort of like, okay, we did this ceremony, but I mean, really, is he the king yet? So it it seems to point to like that he was not really functioning as the king yet, at least. I don't know. What what, what are your thoughts on that? Especially since he's like, you know, tending the fields. Exactly. He's not uh, functioning as a king um, and it was really kind of a of, of a private ceremony rather than a uh, as we'll find at the end of the chapter where the people uh, publicly say yes you're our king. In fact, uh, further down it'll even say who are those who didn't want Saul as king? Bring them out. And, and Saul kind of dismissed yeah. that. He he didn't want to hurt those people. He knew it would time would tell. Time will show. And and let's be uh, a good king right now and let these people live. So there were some who didn't want him as king, some who didn't think he should be king, and certainly he wasn't uh, sitting on a throne at the time when he was called uh, to, to action. He was uh, out in the field. So, mm-hmm. and you, you oh, back to your first point of, of Samuel. I think this is yeah. the big transition from, from the theocracy to a, uh, a kingship where, where at this point, Saul says, yes, uh, Samuel is part of it. But you're going to find in chapters coming what really was Saul's undoing. He did several things, uh, putting up a pillar and, and great pride. But it was when he offered the sacrifice because Samuel didn't show up. He then acted as the priest. He wanted to do mm. it all, prophet, priest, and king. And he was pushing Samuel out of the way because he was king and he was mighty. And and that would be the, the downfall of Saul, but it's the downfall of all sinners is we always are trying to take over and do and not let God do for us. And now I'm thinking especially of that sacrifice uh, for our salvation. It's Jesus' sacrifice that uh, took away our sins. We can't. And we shouldn't try. Uh, and so yeah. moving from a theocracy is, is, is a, a, a step that's going to create a problem for Israel uh, up and coming. Yeah, I, I think that that, that raises a, a really good point that it, it's not like you can just transition, as you were saying, from a theocracy right. to a monarchy just overnight. Yeah, I mean, I mean, so yeah, Samuel anoints him. But that's not going to mean that all of a sudden it's just, I mean, mean, because like you were saying, it's going to be different um, because even if Saul um, is going to be the king, he's not supposed to anyway, like you were saying, have all the same priestly functions that Samuel would have had. So it's not just Saul is Samuel's successor, but that, well, he's the successor in some respects and and not others. And so there is going to be this bit of a transition um, and, and I wanted to ask you too, because uh, this is this is interesting. I, I, I'm not sure I had gotten this, but the ceremony back in chapter ten, um, mm-hmm. you know, because because what do we have in chapter ten? We, I mean, so at the, if I recall, at the at the very beginning of the chapter, right, 
Um, that's where you, like you were saying, it, it's not, it's not a public ceremony. Uh, Samuel is just there with Saul and his servant and he just says, Hey servant, go on ahead for just a second here. I want to talk to Saul. Right. And, and it's like, you know, you know, he gets, I don't know how far ahead. And then he's just like, he whips out this flask of oil and just like, boom. Right. So yeah, that, that was, that was kind of the <laughs> private thing to just like say, Hey, look, man, like God has really picked you. We're going to do this. Um, that's just for, for his own good. Um, but then, right, there's, there's this other, uh, part here in this, in the second half of the chapter, that's pretty interesting where Samuel calls the people together, um, at Mizpah and, and that does seem to be like a public ceremony, but it, it seems that this public ceremony has maybe a little bit of different significance than we, than we might have imagined. So I want to talk about it when we get back, but it's time for our break. Everybody hold on. We're looking at first Samuel chapter 11 here on Nice Strong Word. We'll be right back. Cross Defense is the show where we talk about curious topics to excite the imagination, equip the mind, and comfort the soul with God's Word. Join me, Pastor Tyrell Bramwell, every Monday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio, or anytime on KFUO.org, or even your favorite podcast app. My friends, our foe is a fierce enemy. Our only defense is Christ on the cross. Touching the lives and the hearts of our listeners with the Word of Christ. Sharper Iron is such an incredible, amazing gift. I thank you so much for what it's doing for me and what I know it must be doing for a lot of other people. God bless. To leave a message on the KFUO comment line, call 314-996-1542. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Worldwide KFUO. This week on Issues Etc., we'll look forward to the feast and festival of Matthew the Apostle and Evangelist with Pastor David Peterson. We'll discuss the word righteousness in the Bible with Pastor Will Whedon, and we'll begin a new series with Pastor Paul McCain on the Lutheran Confession. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Everybody to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor AJ Espinosa. We're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 11. I've already had some questions come in via email and also over Facebook. If you do have a question via email, kfuo at kfuo.org. Also, feel free to join the conversation if you have a question for me or our guest today, Pastor Dave Andrus, Pastor at Abiding Savior in St. Louis, also at Not Alone Ministries. If you've got a question, you can call 1-800-730-2727. You can also call, if you're local, 314-821-0850. I want to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, their website, lhfmissions.org. Thank you guys for underwriting and supporting Thy Strong Word. 
So, yeah, we were just before the break starting to get into this here. It, it seems kind of redundant that here in chapter 11, Samuel's going to have to call everyone and say, hey, okay, we, we, we had this victory. And then it's like, okay, everybody, let's, let's go to Gilgal. And it says there in verse 15, and there they made Saul king. Um, but we might be thinking to ourselves, but hang on a second. Didn't we already do that? back in chapter 10, because Samuel called all the people together to the Lord at Mizpah, right? It's a different location. You know, he says all these things. Um, you know, it says, today you've rejected your God, and, you know, so here's this guy. Um, and, and it's interesting, because, you know, they, they, they grab him, right? That There's this big thing with casting lots of all the different tribes and all the different clans, right? Um, and then they all shout, long live the king. So, uh, so yeah, I guess, I guess, brother, the question then is, so how do we understand the difference between these two uh, ceremonies? And, and actually, one of the questions we got over email was, what's the significance of doing this at Gilgal? Um, you know, and maybe even particularly contrasting that with uh, with Mizpah. There's these different locations where Samuel's calling these convocations. So what's the difference between the Mizpah conference and the Gilgal one here in chapter 11? I'll make a simple comparison to present day. Um, okay. Uh, in, and this isn't going to be exact, but it'll help a little bit. In 2016, um, uh, Donald Trump was running for uh, president, and the Republican Party nominated him, step one. Yeah. Then yeah. was the election in November, and uh, people voted. That's step two. But it, technically, he wasn't president until the Electoral uh, College elected him state by state, which oh, I forgot when that was. Was that in January? Then he right. officially became president. So it's, it's mm -hmm. really a, a multiple stage so that there'd be full ratification. And that's really the, the phrase I'd like to come back to here is uh, full ratification. It had uh, God's stamp way back at Rama. Um, mm -hmm. A small group at, at Mizpah, but it was a full ratification and acceptance by all of the country um, there at Gilgal. Yeah, I think it's actually a pretty good analogy. I, and, and, and even um, then there's the swearing in, right, that actually happens then even oh, after yeah. that, right? So you're right. I, yeah, I didn't even think of that one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, so, so you're, you're, you're spot on. There's, there's lots of different steps. And if you kind of just ask the question, you know, when did he become president? I, I mean, you could kind of, or, you know, or, or when was he chosen as president or something like that? It, mm -hmm. It's kind of mm -hmm. difficult to, I mean, you, you could come up with multiple answers and they'd all be right. Um, and, and it's not, it's not even just something peculiar to modern times, but you think about, um, you know, one of the uh, government uh, mo moments in, in government and power that's described in the New Testament with uh, Titus and uh, Vespasian coming into power uh, following the, the Judeo-Claudian dynasty. And Vespasian, you know, he takes over um, as, as Caesar, uh, but Titus, his son, is also given the title Caesar at the time. And so, like, the Roman Empire oh, proclaims right. both of them Caesar, even though Titus is not going to actually, you know, be the emperor until after his, his father's death. So, I mean, there's—but the thing is, like, he still proclaimed that. And so, actually, um, I think that idea of being proclaimed king, like, in the sense of being proclaimed as in next in line or something, I mean, that, that was something that happened for a long time. And so I think— um, in that respect, in 1 Samuel 10, uh, the ESV has a heading 
I think I think it does, if I recall right. Uh, yeah, Saul proclaimed king. Uh, that's the heading that ESV has over uh, verse 17. Whereas then here in chapter 11, the, the heading that you actually get is uh, the kingdom is renewed. So um, in that respect, I think that's actually pretty helpful that, you know, Saul is proclaimed king as like, hey, this is the guy who's like going to be king. He He's the one who inherits um, the right. Um, he's the, you know, he's kind of appointed as the heir, designated as the guy. But, but now he's actually going to execute those powers and be sworn in here, right? So, yeah, I think your, your analogy to... emphasizes this well because it talks about uh-huh. then the people united in worship and praise. Yeah. Um, so that that was the final step, you might say, that uh, it was acknowledged throughout the whole country of Israel and Judah. Right. Yeah. So I think, um, and, and then maybe, and maybe that actually has to do maybe a little bit with the locations then too, right? Um, because, um, well, I mean, I don't know, do, do you, before I just throw something out there, um, any, any thoughts on Gilgal versus Mizpah or, you know, wh- why they were doing this stuff at one spot or another? No, I have, I have no, no, no thoughts on that myself. Do you? Well, um, I think that, you know, perhaps to your point, if this is supposed to be the kind of big, you know, swearing in or something like that, mm-hmm. um, you would kind of want to have a central location. And as, as far as Gilgo goes anyway, um, I mean, I, I'm not, I, I'm actually not sure why we would have picked Mizpah earlier, except that Mizpah was like mentioned earlier in the text. And so maybe it was just kind of, um, you know, at hand or, or convenient, but in terms of, you know, Gilgal, we recall from, we recall from Joshua, right, that this is the place where it was right, right after they crossed the Jordan, they, they were circumcised, because a lot of them had not been circumcised, the new generation, right? Um, it's mm-hmm. kind of like, I think they give it as like the etymology of, of Gilgal. So it's this place that's like right there by the Jordan, um, right, kind of in the, in the smack middle of things in a lot of ways, when you think about it, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, near Jericho. So to have this spot that's going to be kind of relatively speaking in the middle, where it's going to be right between the Transjordan tribes, like um, like Reuben and uh, and uh, the the rest, like uh, East Manasseh, for instance, uh, versus the Cisjordan tribes, it, it kind of makes sense to have just kind of right here in the middle. We're going to meet uh, in in this kind of significant spot uh, where where kind of Joshua, in many ways, took up the mantle, right? So it's, it's, I think mm-hmm. it's a very significant spot um, for a lot of reasons like that. Okay. Okay. But so so we have this then, um, what was before the kind of, you know, the proclamation, okay, this is the heir apparent, right, versus him coming into power and actually going to be executing the power here. Um, and, and key to that is the Spirit of God coming upon Saul. And so uh, I'll ask... I'll, I'll, I'll kind of just like ask the question that maybe crosses uh, our minds here. Um, in, in chapter 10, it says, he, you know, he gets the spirit, right? Well, here in uh, 11, it says, you know, and the spirit of God rushed upon Saul. So didn't he already have the spirit? Why does he need to get the spirit again? Put it that way. <laughs> ah, <laughs> I hadn't thought of that question. Hmm. So I'm, 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 <laughs> What do they say? Shooting from the hip or are doing yeah. some fast footwork here? Um, 
I would say it seems to me this is a, a special gift of God that he gave him for specific reasons, and not that God would come and go, but that it was God's guidance that would be uh, for specific events taking place. Um, yeah. It's, it's different than we as Christians in the New Testament. That's the astounding thing of Pentecost is that the mm-hmm. Spirit of God was given to all, like Peter said, to your young men, your old men, uh, uh, your women, your children. And, and so the Spirit of God now dwells within all of us. Back then, they had faith. It was given by God as a gift, just like us, no different. But the presence of God's Spirit does seem to be different in the New Testament versus the Old Testament. And when somebody does in the Old Testament receive the Spirit of God, it is for specific activity. Usually we see it with with the uh, prophets more so than with the kings. Mm -hmm. Um, But here we do see it with the king. That's that's my... my my quick answer anyway, because I, I hadn't thought about that question. Well, how about yourself? Yeah. What would you say? Well, I think that the comparison between the New Testament and the Old Testament is uh, is, is helpful, and it's kind of probably where we're we're getting the uh, the difficulty. I think right because we we think of it, I think as well. You get baptized, or yeah, you 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 come to faith, or you know whatever however we put it, and it's like well now you have the Spirit. So what is this? You know the Spirit you know comes upon you thing. Um, you, you know, so, so thinking of it that way, it, it's interesting though, when you take a close look at what it actually does say, um, in, in the new Testament, even like for instance, in Acts chapter four, verse eight, it says, then Peter filled with the Holy spirit said to them, um, and, and there's, and there's, it's interesting how there's kind of like a lot of moments, um, where, where this happens here, like at the end of chapter four, then they were all filled with the Holy yeah, Spirit and continue yeah. to speak the word of God with boldness. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of like, uh, there's there's like another moment here where somebody stands up. Pretty much it seems like every time in Acts that anyone stands up and says something <laughs> profound. Um, oh, okay, yeah, here's another one. Uh, yeah, so uh, it's actually in, in a quote, actually, then. This is, this is fantastic. Um, but yeah, so this is uh, Saul that is of Tarsus, right, also called Paul, it says there in chapter 13, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently and said, right? So there's, I, I think actually, when you kind of look at that, I, I think what's going on is it's the same, the similar idea that even in the New Testament, the Spirit, like you were saying, uh, in terms of like a special gift, comes and it fills a person so that they would say basically the right thing, so that when they speak, it's not just their ideas, but it's God speaking in that moment. And so that kind of, of, of filling with the Spirit, that's something that, I mean, that's not just, you can just say like, oh, like everyone just kind of has that happen to them at their baptism, and then like the whole rest of their lives, they just, they're filled with the Spirit, as if like, you know, everything that I say is inspired. Certainly not. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Certainly not. And not, not with me anyway. Yeah, but so you have yeah. to make a distinction between like the spirit kind of rushing upon or filling so that um, the, the next act of communication is kind of this inspired act um, from God. And it's a message from God versus, you know, the spirit is, is kind of like with you and abiding with you through baptism, through faith. Uh, I mean, those are those are 
different things, even though similar language gets used, is how I would address that. I, I don't know about you as a pastor. I have several times said something, not so much in a sermon, but in a Bible study or w- when talking with a person individually in a in a in a, uh, a counseling situation. And when I look back, I go, "Oh, where did that come from?" I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I, oh my goodness. It had yeah. to be God. And I, I think it's kind of one of those things that, that many times God does fill his people in a special way to do special things. And, of yeah. course, it's, it, I'm reminded of the story. It's not something you can buy, not something you mm-hmm. can demand, yep. not something you can do on your own. Um, I forget his name now. The, the sorcerer tried to buy it, and uh, was that, was uh, he was blinded by Saul for, for trying to do that, that sinful thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that, that, that's right. So, um, yeah, and I, I think I think I can relate. I mean, there, there's, I mean, at least there's certainly the moments where I I say something and I'm just like, I'm not sure. I, I don't, even, you know, I'm just thinking to myself, yeah. where did I even get that idea? You know, yeah, um, and, yeah. It, and it does it does feel like it's, uh, yeah, like there, there's something there's something to that the, the way that the, the spirit can kind of work in these sorts of spontaneous ways, which which I think then kind of gets to this question here. Um, so the spirit of God rushes upon Saul and what happens? Um, his anger was greatly kindled. All right. So, so then one of the email questions was, no, hang on a second. Does the indwelling of the spirit bring great anger or assuring peace? Right. And so I, I think this actually, this is a good question, but I think it kind of gets to this basic question we were just looking at that. Uh, I mean, the, the spirit, the regeneration of the spirit, which takes place over, I mean, a Christian's whole life, right. Uh, that, that, having the spirit that is ours through participation with Christ through baptism, that certainly does bring peace. But in these particular special moments, I think, where God's going to inspire like the next thing that you say so that it's um, something that, that that's more than just your own words, but something that's, you know, for his people. Now, see, that's, I, I think, going to be different. That's and the so, key for his yeah. people. For his people, and that's why he was angry. Just as Jesus was angry in the temple yep. because they were yep. polluting uh, God's worship center, anger and, and rage is okay. It is a God-given gift if used for the right thing. And and here Saul was so angry because uh, of the tragedy that would be happening to God's people. Yeah, I, I I think that's right. And the thing is, what's what's very key too, and I think this brings out something very nice that um, in the cleansing of the temple, that's a symbolic action. It, it's not like he's just mad and he's like, "Get out of here," you know. But but by actually cleansing the temple like that, there there's a message that's being sent to everybody. And, and the thing is, I think they they kind of get the message um, that that this guy is basically claiming like there's lots of different levels to this but you know that he has authority to even do this um that in his in his uh ministry in fact the the temple is being purified right he's going around casting out spirits right um and and the temple of god in some ways is being reconstituted in the church uh through his activity so there's like lots of different levels to this but the idea that the spirit is coming upon him and yeah um inspiring anger but but the, the point not being the anger, but the message that's going to come as a result of it. So I, I think he needs the anger in that moment, 
um, so we can, so we can chase everyone out and get like knock over all the tables and stuff like that. And so similarly, yeah. I get you know it probably helps to get angry if you're gonna like work up the gumption to chop a yoke of oxen into pieces and like send people you know you know so so i said i think the anger is there is like you know it's like he's he's being given this kind of like this surge of power to go and do this thing and send a clear message but 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 the the point being though that this special gift is that this this message would be sent and so when, when this message says you know whoever doesn't come after saul and samuel so shall i be done to his oxen I mean, this is God speaking here, like, hey, look, guys, you asked for the king, right? You better obey him now. I mean, which is, uh, I mean, very congenial to what we've been looking at in Romans the last couple Sundays. But, you know, so even though even though the whole kingship idea is exposed by Samuel as not the best idea, yeah, once once God appoints you a king, God says you have to You're listen to You're the king. <laughs> That's right. And there is a gift of leadership. Uh, and, and it's amazing when— and, and we see this is just a natural ability of leadership here on earth. But then when it's, it's a, a God-given gift of leadership for the church, it does amazing, wonderful, blessed things. And I, I would really see what Saul was given here by the Spirit is this gift of leadership to unite the people under one kingdom. Okay, God said, if you're going to kingdom, then we got to unite you. And so yeah. uh, Saul... Uh, lead the people. That's right. Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, the, the the message again too, being a message of guys, you you need to be unified. And you know, in some ways, this is God saying, you know, I wish that you would have been unified around me, but I would rather you be unified and not be uh, have your eyes gouged out by Nahash um, around unified around Saul um, than to just not be unified at all. You know, and uh, you know, mm-hmm. so I mean, so it's. I mean, there's there's this uh, lesser of two evils, and and God, you know, very graciously, dating. It's like you know, he would rather, you know, he would rather have Israel spit in his face and and applaud Saul, but but live, than have his people just get <laughs> massacred. You know, yeah, so I mean, that really is. Say it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, well, I mean, it, it prefigures what happens in the crucifixion, right? That, that God would rather have the people, his own people, spit in his face, reject him as king. Um, he would rather have that than that his people would uh, just be destroyed and annihilated. Yes, yes, indeed. So, um, so then one of the other, uh, so I, one of the other questions then, um, uh, talking about, uh, so what happens at this, at this ceremony here? Um, so we, we get to the, the ceremony itself at the end of the chapter. Um, fascinating that you've got this, uh, this moment where after the military victory, they're, 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 they're all like, whoa, you know, uh, who are those people who ever doubted Saul, <laughs> right? Well, let's, let's put them to mm-hmm. death, which, which, which is again, I think one of these moments that, uh, probably seems like over the top to us, but that's kind of in the context of like freedom of the press and things like that. Like for, for a long time, uh, this is kind of more seen less. It's more seen as like mutiny, which is just punishable by death um, rather yeah, than yeah. right. Cause it, I mean, it's, it's a military matter too. I mean, it's, it's not really seen as like a separate thing. Like Saul is like the general and it's like, you know, the, the penalty for desertion, even 
I mean, today, I think, like, it can carry the death penalty. I know it did during the uh, Civil War and Revolutionary War. I don't know about today. I don't think so. It, it certainly will be imprisonment, but I don't, I don't know about death, not for desertion. But yeah, I guess it's I'm, a not, good I'm not point sure being... these days. Yeah, I'm not sure today if it's de- desertion or if it might be like if you sell like uh, state secrets or I mean, there, there's some. But I mean, there's even on like today um, for particular like military personnel, there's, there's like there's something that even like has that uh, connection. But, oh yeah, for, uh, um, if it's considered treason, if it's considered treason. Yeah, tr- okay, yeah, treason, right, right. So, mm-hmm. so, so, so that's a, I, I think a part of the thing there. But, but so even though um, they they even rightfully could be put to death, you know, arguably, you know, Saul very mercifully says, you know, no, not a man shall be put to death this day. For today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. You know, I, I think we got to appreciate what he's doing there. Because he's he's taking the focus off of himself, and he's saying, yeah, well, you know, yeah, legally, I am the king. I have the right to put traitors to death. Um, but it's not about me today. Today, it's about God. You know, and, and, and to say, I think, not a man shall be put to death this day, gets back to God being the Lord of life, that he desires that not the death of the sinner, but that the sinner would repent and, and have his life be saved. So I mean, th- this is a this is a fantastic moment where you have Saul basically, um, you could say, uh, foreshadowing the intercession of Christ on behalf of his enemies, um, and that humility that doesn't focus on himself but on the God he stands for. Certainly, at this point, Saul is a real good king, uh, humble yeah. and and leading the people, pointing to God. Absolutely, absolutely, and it would only be his pride which was the original sin for us all um, that, yeah. that uh, led him down the road of, of being a bad king. Now, yeah. I have a question for you, because I did a little bit of looking, yeah. and I could not understand fully. It mentions that uh, when he did the call to the country, 300,000 men came from Israel and 30,000 from Judah. Now, I, I do mm-hmm. know when it talks about Israel and Judah, I'm believing that Israel would be the 10 tribes, Judah, probably Judah and Benjamin, that's a small amount, but only 10%. I, it seems, and why did they point out the specific difference? I couldn't find anything there. That's a good question. Um, I was like, and I think it may, it may have actually come up too, and in one of the questions that we got online, I was trying to mm-hmm. let me see here mm-hmm. if, if I saw it now, there. Because Saul, I mean, that, that does while you're show looking, that, I'll mention ben, yeah. he, Saul came from the tribe of Benjamin, a very small tribe, and Benjamin was usually united with Judah, if I remember right. And so was it a distinction simply because this is relating to Saul as being connected there? Or I, I, I didn't understand. Yeah, so I, I think that's a good question. And I, I so actually, I, I just found it on... Um, on Facebook that basically was the same question <laughs> um, mm-hmm, that, except, mm-hmm. except the question was, was sort of like, well, shouldn't Judah be bringing more actually? Because I mean, and the thing is you do see this, I mean, throughout the, the books of scripture that um, tribes like Benjamin and Ephraim, not, not Benjamin, Judah and Ephraim and Manasseh, they just have larger populations. They can field more soldiers. Right. And, and so it, it does seem in some ways kind of, odd that there's a, I don't know, such a proportional number from Judah instead of a, a big number like we're going to see. And, and if I recall, um, you know, like as time goes on with the rule of the kings, 
and we're, we're going to have like a census taken at various points. Um, I, I think in those cases too, like the number that you get from Judah is actually, you know, uh, expectedly larger than this amount that you get here. So, yeah, you know, so yeah, so off the, off the top of my head, um, yeah, it does, it does, I think just kind of seem a little bit small to me too. Um, I mean, like clearly I, I think to what you were saying that this, this at the very least seems to suggest a time where Judah is kind of functioning more as just one of the tribes as opposed to kind of like the whole like Southern kingdom unto itself. Right. Um, so like for instance, um, like in second Samuel 24, you've got in Israel, there were 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword and the men of Judah were 500,000. So like in, in that context, it's like Judah is more just functioning as like, this is just the, like a whole Southern kingdom all by itself. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm, and at this, mm-hmm. at this stage in the game, to just be 30,000 of the 300,000, it's just kind of very much one of the tribes. And I'm reminded of uh, one of the comments in, in Joshua, which, which was that um, Judah's allotment was too big for them, right? Like kind mm. of reflecting mm. that they, they were yeah. actually pretty small. So, so I mean, like, so yeah, I, I guess I don't really have like a complete answer, except that th- this is pointing to this early time here where um, th- this was a moment of unity. This was this wasn't the Judah show, not yet. Um, this was very much um, this this plurality of tribes, uh, all very separated, uh, small, but getting put together as one and together with God's spirit uniting them. Uh, they're bigger than their pieces, um, and, and so I, I think there you have something that we see in the church even today, that you know, like you were saying, even even now. God has these moments where I think the spirit rushes upon us. And maybe I'd like to argue that that something like that happened in the Reformation, right? And other moments too, right? Ah, where where sure. God yeah. takes his little people that have been scattered and yeah, the spirit is with them, but he does something special to bring, bring us together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think, I think brother, a lot of, a lot of good things and uh, a lot of good questions we're able to kind of work through together. So appreciate that. Indeed. It's nice being able to You're have a welcome. conversation again. Uh, God bless you. you. Looking forward to having you on again real soon. Thanks. God's blessings to you too. Appreciate it, brother. Everybody, that was Pastor Dave Andrus, pastor at Abiding Savior Lutheran Church in St. Louis, also at Not Alone Ministries. Moving on to chapter 12, like we were saying, really interesting speech Samuel gives. Till then, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. Produced by the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.